hey, good morning again. Um, if you weren't here earlier, uh, I want to welcome you, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. We're so glad that you would be with us this morning. My name is Jay Freimeyer, and I'm on staff here at the church, and I'm thrilled that you guys are with us, and uh, I'm excited to be here before you this morning. Hey, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Um, I, I hope you have your Bibles, but if not, the words will also, uh, the verses will also be on the screens for you here. Um, and I just want to say, uh, while you're turning there, if you are a guest with us this morning and, and I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I would love for you to say hi after the service. So, so when we're done here, come forward, please say hi. And I'd love to engage you just for a few moments. Um, that'd be great. So uh, before we get started, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. God, thank you so much for this time that you've given us um, as believers to gather for worship, to study your word, and to learn what it would mean for us today and how it applies. And so I'm, I'm asking that you would give us your spirit today, that he would do that, that he would illuminate the words from Psalm 139 and help us to know how to live accordingly. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A um, couple things before I forget. We also have overflow in the foyer over here. So if at any point in our service you feel uncomfortable, feel free to, to grab one of the tables out in the foyer. There's audio coming out there so you can hear everything that I'm saying, anything that's going on here but you can sit out there and be a little more spaced out. We also have space in our kids' foyer. And also for you families, you parents, if you would like some coloring sheets or crafts for your kids to do, we've got some at our connect table in the back. You can go grab as many as you want. Let them color all morning. It'd be great. Um, have you guys ever heard the, the saying, um, he or she can't see the forest for the trees? It's this expression that we use for those people that, like me, are detail-oriented people. Any other detail-oriented people in here? You can admit it's a safe place. There's more of you than that, I know. Um, like me, you can get caught up with the details or the tasks of a project or something you're working on that you forget the bigger picture, right? The forest. You miss the bigger forest for the smaller trees that maybe you're focusing on. Well, I'm curious this morning if you think that the opposite can also be true. Can you miss the trees for the forest? Consider if you're in an airplane, if you guys have flown in an airplane before and you look down and you see a magnificent forest. It can be easy to forget that a forest is made up of a lot of smaller trees, right? So I believe that it is possible to miss the trees for the forest. Now, I think sometimes as believers, we can become laser-focused on the bigness of God. And so I'm going to use that term, bigness. I don't know if it's a word. I'm going to use it throughout the morning to just explain the holiness of God, the transcendence of God, the magnificence of God, those bigger attributes that maybe it's harder for you and for I to relate to. Now, I want to be clear on the front end that I am not saying that thinking on those things is bad. I am not saying that. As we think on those things, it ought to cause in us worship and joy and love for God because he is those things. But thinking on the bigness of God does not have to come at the expense of his intentional and dedicated love for you. Now, do you ever find yourself doing that? Thinking on these big attributes of God that you can forget that he loves and cares for you. Now, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Here's the beautiful part in all of this. The scriptures don't put these two things at odds. Okay, these things are both true. Is God holy? Yes. Is he omniscient? Yes. Is he omnipotent? Yes. Did he create the heavens and the earth and everything in them by his word? Yes. But does he also deeply love his bride, the church, in a unique way, so much that he knows the burdens you carry and those things that give you great joy? 
Is he with you always? Did he make you? All of these things are true. Yes. So as I've been studying Psalm 139 this past week or two, um, I feel like God has like grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, this is for you. And I, I believe that that's also true of you guys this morning. And what I mean that is that, what I don't mean is that because of your current circumstances or because our world is just bonkers right now or whatever's going on in your life, that this text is for you. What I mean is that in any circumstance, at any point in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And so I want you to hear that this morning. I want you to hear God grabbing you by the shoulders and looking you in the eyes and saying, this is for you, okay? And so my hope just at the front end is that this is encouragement to you, that you're uplifted by this, and if you're listening or watching at home, that this would also be an encouragement to you. So let's begin by reading Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the first six verses here. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So David is the author of this psalm, and here he marvels at the idea that God knows him in a personal way. What he doesn't say here is, God, I'm so amazed that you know all things. He doesn't say, God, I'm amazed that you know how many blades of grass there are throughout the world, that you know how many pieces of sand there are throughout the world, how many stars there are in the sky. No, what does he say? Oh God, you know me. Think about that for just a moment. He knows all his actions before he performs them. He knows all his words before he says them. He knows all his thoughts before he thinks them. Charles Spurgeon said this of verses one through six. My most common and casual acts, my most needful and necessary movements are noted by thee. And thou knowest the inward thoughts which regulate them. Whether I sink in lowly self-renunciation or ascend in pride, Thou seest the motions of my mind as well as those of my body. So sitting down to consider or rising up to act, you are still seen, known, and read by our Lord. Now, I love that last line. You are read by our Lord. Like a good book that you can't put down, God is reading you. Now, I don't think that Spurgeon is implying here that God didn't know something about him. We've already learned from Psalm 139, that God knows everything about us. There's not something he can learn about us. And I don't think it means either that he's following you around, looking to know you and read you to figure out when you're going to do something wrong so he can correct you and he can make you right. I think it's because you are a son or a daughter of the king that he desires to know you intimately and he enjoys you. I think that Spurgeon and David would agree that God enjoys his people do you believe that this morning, that God enjoys you? Another commentator has said it like this. This knowledge of God is nothing less than a knowledge that discerns and discriminates in favor of those who are loyal to the Lord. So if you're in Christ this morning, that is true of you. He has earned and achieved your salvation. And this means that your right standing before the Father gives you the benefit of the doubt before him. He sees you as Jesus sees you, holy, spotless, and without blemish. There is no rush to judgment or doubting of your intentions. 
And doesn't that sound good this morning in a culture that we live in that rushes to judgment all the time? That he is not following you around to rush to judgment and slap your hand at all times. Now, here's the thing about that is, sometimes, sometimes our intentions are off, aren't they? Actually, a lot of times we can be selfish and only mindful of ourselves and seeking to earn things for, for us, for only us. But because God already knows you, bring all of yourself to him, not just the good, but also the bad. Confess your sins to him and repent those to him. Tell him your fears. Tell him your inconsistencies. Where do you doubt? God knows you. Another commentator wrote that God has done a thorough investigation on you. He has exact intelligence and precise understanding. He has perfect acquaintance with every emotion, feeling, conception, thought, aim, doubt, perplexity, and concern of his creatures. Like a good parent loves to know the thoughts and intentions of their children, God loves to know you. So my daughter Eden, she's our middle child, she's three years old now, she loves to tell us what she's thinking. And I mean loves it, like all the time. The good and the bad, the positive thoughts she's thinking, the negative thoughts she's thinking, she loves to tell us everything. Here lately, she's been repeating things immediately after she hears them, if she's like super excited about it. So for instance, last Sunday, Brooke, my wife, made dessert for us um, for Father's Day to have after our meal. And like any wise parent, we, we bribed our kids and said, hey, if you, if you eat your meal, you can have dessert. I mean, you parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. And so immediately, she turns to her brother, who's in the room, Henry, who has just heard exactly what I told her. Hey, if you eat your meal, you can have dessert. She's beaming with excitement. She's so excited. Like, she's like, like she's shaking almost. And she's like, Bubby, guess what? Guess what? If you eat your dinner, you get dessert. She says dessert, not dessert, dessert. She's like so excited. She, she like can't, she can't hold it in. Here's the thing with Eden specifically. I already know everything she's thinking. She is an open book. We don't have to guess anything about her. It's written on her face. I know if she's being good or if she's being naughty, if she has started an instigation, uh, instigated an argument with her brother. We know all things about Eden. Why? Because we study her, we read her, we love her, we enjoy her. At the same time, even though I don't need her to tell me what she's thinking and what she's feeling, it gives me so much joy when she does. It gives me so much pride, even when she's been disobedient, when she comes to me and confesses those things to me because she knows daddy is safe and she knows daddy wants, wants what's best for her. Your heavenly father already knows all things about you. So may that not keep us from going to him in prayer with all of it, the good and the bad, the joys and the sorrows. Let's keep reading. In verse seven, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
so first in the first six verses, we see that David is overwhelmed that God would know him personally in a deep way. Here we see David expressing the reality that the presence of God is always with him. And again, he's speaking in very personal terms. He's not saying, oh God, it's amazing that you're everywhere at all times. And he's, not, he's also not saying, uh, where can any person run and hide from you? No, he says, where should I go? Where should I flee? If I go to heaven, the highest high, if I go to Sheol, the lowest low, if I rise with the sun, which comes in the east, if I am the deepest part of the sea, the farthest west, he's saying, you are there. There is nowhere I can go to run from you. Friends, this morning, there is no place that you or I can go where the presence of God is not. That is good news. There is no place that you or I can go this morning or anytime where the presence of God is not. Now, he is not saying that he wants to run away from God. He's just saying that if he did, where would he go? There's nowhere for him to go. Now, Jonah learned this the hard way, right? You kids in the room, remember the story of Jonah? God comes to Jonah, and where does he tell Jonah to go? Nineveh. That's great. Was that Henry? Awesome. I did not plan that. I didn't like say, hey, here's the answer. <laughs> so he tells him to go to Nineveh, but Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, did he? In fact, he wanted to go anywhere other than Nineveh. Now, I love the wording that the Jesus Storybook Bible uses in describing where Jonah wants to buy his ticket to. Do any of you kids remember where Jonah buys his ticket to? Not Nineveh. Guys, I did not, I swear I did not plant that. I did not. You guys don't believe me. It doesn't matter. One ticket to not Nineveh, please, is how the Jesus Storybook Bible reads. One ticket to not Nineveh. God asked him to go to a place and tell the people to repent. Jonah wanted to be anywhere other than that place. As the story plays out, what happens? God finds him, and he still ended up accomplishing his purposes through Jonah. Now, this can be, like, this story can be like, well, God is finding him and sends a whale to eat him or a fish to eat him. Like, kind of creepy. But in Psalm 139, it is overwhelmingly encouraging that the presence of God is with us. The darkness cannot overwhelm David to the point that he's hidden from God. What does he say? Even the darkness is as light to God. When God's looking down, it doesn't matter if it's dark or light. He sees all. Even in their most remote places, God's hand will lead him. His right hand will hold him. The last Sunday that we met before quarantine shut us down for two or three months was Baptism Sunday. Now, doesn't that feel like years ago? It feels like so long ago. Well, that next Sunday, I was scheduled to preach from 1 Corinthians 3, which I think I will eventually get to preach when we go to 1 Corinthians again. But in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses the picture of the church being built up like a building. So on the foundation, you have Christ. And then there's workers in the church that are building up this building. And then once it's constructed, he says in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You as the people of God, Paul writes, are the place in which the spirit of God resides. The presence of God throughout scripture has moved, particularly throughout the Old Testament. But when Christ came and ushered in the new covenant, he left with the condition that he would be sending his spirit, the helper, to be with his disciples until he returned again. So now, today, for us, the Holy Spirit of God resides in us who follow Jesus by faith. God could have chosen another way. 
He could have chosen a different location to place his spirit, but the veil in the temple was torn. Christ rose, and he sent his spirit to live in the church, the people of God. So God knows you. God is with you. Now let's keep reading, starting in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book they were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So this is the quintessential passage we run to in all of Scripture for the pro-life movement, isn't it? And for good reason. All people, regardless of race, gender, family history, those with disabilities and those without, all people have been made in the image of God and have been made by God. Spurgeon said elsewhere, we need not go to the ends of the earth for marvels. So you don't need to go to the Grand Canyon or the Rocky Mountains or the ocean or the sunrise, whatever it is for you. You don't need to go to the ends of the earth for marvels, he says. They abound in our own bodies. This past weekend for Father's Day, my dad and his siblings, so my aunt and my uncle, they got um, a portrait for my grandfather for Father's Day. So they hired this young woman to take a piece of paper and draw a picture of my grandfather with charcoal. Now, this is a, a new concept for me. I didn't know you could do this, and I don't even know how she did it, if it's like in a pencil form or if it's a rock. I have no idea. But she drew this picture using charcoal, and guys, it is incredible. The precision and the detail that goes into making this picture, it's remarkable. Like, you can see the lines in his shirt, the wrinkles. You can see the contour of his face. We marveled at this photo of my grandpa. And here's the, here's the deal. It's just a picture. Like, it, if I were to hold it up, it's just a sheet of paper. It's not even the real him. So imagine the skill and precision and care that had to have been combined when God created you, when God created all of you. Again, it's not us in general, though it does apply to all of us. David says, he, he's, he's worshiping here. He says, you formed my inward parts. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. So this morning, I want you to hear that he made you in secret. You were intricately woven together. He knitted you together. And in his book, the days were formed for you before there was one of them. He knew all of your days before there was one. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, maybe just one of you in the room, but I just have to say that you were not an accident. All of you need to hear, you were not an accident. You were created by God in his image for a purpose. Now, there are a number of ways that we could apply this truth in this passage this morning, but I'm going to keep in line with what I believe David is communicating and focus on you. Since Psalm 139 is deeply personal, I just want to ask a few questions. Do you believe that God made you with care? Do you believe that he knitted you together the best that he could? Do you wish the days he formed for you were different than they are? 
Do you believe that God made a mistake in giving you your days? Do you believe that you are wonderfully made? Now, make no mistake about it. Our bodies are breaking down. Now, if you're younger, maybe you're not feeling the the effects of that yet. And I'm barely over 30, 34. So some of you older than me are thinking, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like it's coming. So, okay, you know. But, but there is no doubting, no debating that our bodies will break down and there is coming a day that we will get new glorified bodies and new heavens and the earth. But for now, we groan and we ache and we suffer in the meantime. But here's the deal. We're not alone. When you look to the scriptures, you see people all over the place that are experiencing these same results of the fall. Moses had some sort of speech impediment. Joseph, as we just saw, he was ridiculed because of the order of his birth in comparison to his, other, uh, to his brothers, along with those dreams that he was having. David was looked down upon because of his stature. Paul prayed that the thorn in his flesh would be removed. We don't know what it was, but he constantly prayed for it to be gone. Women throughout the Bible were barren. How many people did Jesus heal that were crippled, deaf, blind, and so on and so forth? Because of our fractured and sin-filled world, brokenness is all around us. But despite your brokenness and the flaws that you see, in your own body, or in your mind, in your mental makeup, you were still made in the image of God. You were still fearfully and wonderfully made. You were woven together by God in secret, and your days were formed before there was one of them. So I'd encourage you this morning that rather than loathing those things about yourself that, that you don't like, maybe your body or your mind, whatever that is, celebrate the truth that God has made you like he has for a purpose, and he's done so ultimately for his glory and for your ultimate joy. So what now? So God knows me, God is with me, God has made me. What is our response to all this? Well, in verse 17, like David, I think we should praise him. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. And it looks like he's fallen asleep here as he's counting. And he says, I awake and I'm still with you. I I can count and count and count and count, and still your thoughts are so vast. I cannot count them all. So God is omniscient. He knows all things, right? We would agree with that, and God knows you. So praise God for that. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present at all times, and he's with you. Praise God for that. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's created all things, and yet he made you with care. Praise God for that. Now, this ought to produce a great deal of awe within us. And if it doesn't, go back to verse 1 and keep reading until it does. God knows you, he's with you, and he made you. And if that doesn't produce joy and worship in God, then something is a little off. So keep reading and keep praying. Next, I would say from verses 23 and 24 that we should ask the Holy Spirit to expose us every day. David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David bookends Psalm 139 with a declaration and a request of essentially the same thing. In verse one, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And in verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. So David knows that God knows him. We've already understood that. But he asked God to keep searching and knowing him anyways, and to lead him in the way everlasting. 
we know from the scriptures that David was at his best when he was walking with the Lord closely and thriving in the knowledge of who he was in him. And yet his life went off the rails when he lost track of his calling and he flirted with sin. David knows that God knows him, but I believe here David is asking God to help him know himself, right? David already knows that God knows him, but he's asking God to help him know himself and to lead his life accordingly, that he would be led in the way everlasting. So this morning, let us ask the Holy Spirit to expose us, both the good and the bad, and to lead you in the way everlasting. God knows you, he's with you, and he made you. These realities are true and they are good news because Jesus brought us good news. Before Christ, you were separated from God. You were his enemy. But God, Ephesians 2 tells us, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had for us, he made us alive together with Christ. He made you alive together with Christ. And because of Jesus' work on your behalf, you've been brought into the family of God. You're now sons and daughters of the king, and the things that King David is meditating on in Psalm 139, they're true of you this morning. Jesus took your sin and your guilt and your shame to the cross. He died the death that you deserved, and he rose from the grave. In doing this, he purchased your freedom, and he infuses joy in your veins. So maybe this morning, you're prone to be a miss the forest for the trees person, or maybe you're prone to be a miss the trees for the forest person. I just made that up. I don't know if anybody's ever said that. But in the economy of God's character, these things are not at odds. God is huge. He's bigger. He's more lovely. He's more grand. He is more deserving of worship than you could ever imagine. And at the same time, his care, his love, and desire for you is more than you could ever dream possible. So let us celebrate that this morning, knowing that the King knows us, he's with us, and he's made us. Let's pray. Oh God, this is such good news for us this morning. This is such good news. And yet as we hear it, I still wonder if, those, if there are those of us in the room or listening or watching online that don't believe it, that don't believe that the God of all creation, the God of universe, could not just know me, not just be with me, not just make me, but that he loves and enjoys me. And so I, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room who are struggling to believe that right now. And where there's unbelief, God, would you give greater faith to believe these things, that you know us and you love us, you care for us. God, we're so thankful for what you've done for us in Jesus and that these things are true because of what he's done for us. So we worship you this morning for sending Jesus to die in our place that we might have new life in him. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.